Why don't you stay standing for just a moment? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your presence here this afternoon. Lord, we thank you that you come to dwell in the midst of your people, that you desire for us to worship you, and that we would then walk in unity together as we come to understand our purpose and knowing who you are and who you've created us to be. And Lord, that you set us free to love one another. And Father, we ask you, Lord, that that love would increase, that your love would be shared abroad in our hearts, that we would be able to love not just our neighbors, but our enemies, Father, and that we would bring you glory in this aspect of our lives. And Lord, give this day to you. We thank you that you would speak to your people today by your spirit, Lord, that everything you don't want said would not be said, and things you do want said would be shared, Father, today, that we would be brought into a deeper relationship of who you are, uh, knowledge of who you are in relationship with one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Do take your seats. It's great to have all of you here today. If you're here at the 11 o'clock service, you'd have heard the exciting news. Myself and Rebecca are going to be going to New Zealand for nine weeks. I'm going to go spend some time with her family over there. Um, because after those nine weeks, I'm going to be coming back to you. How could I leave you guys behind? Not at all. We want to be here, and we believe our call is to London to minister here in, in Kensington Temple, and so we'll certainly be back. So don't worry. Had a few people that were panicking about that, but we'll certainly be back in the new year. Amen. Before I get into the message today, though, just want to quickly highlight for you the evening school sessions that are starting. The, the Bible school is going to continue without me here, and also the evening schools. They don't need me to run it. So, uh, But the courses are going to be the Glory in the Church and Know Your Enemy. There's information on the inside cover. They're starting this Wednesday and Thursday. On Wednesdays, Dave Wellington is going to be looking at how the church is intended to glorify Christ, to reveal the love of God in the world, to bring healing and hope to, a na to nations that are, are broken, and how it's called to spotlight the person of Jesus Christ uh, with the end of days that we're looking forward to. On Thursdays, uh, Bruce Atkinson's going to be looking at Know Your Enemy. We find ourselves in a spiritual battle, and he's going to be addressing how we can win in that battle. So those two are running. There's registration forms available. We'd love for you to come and join us for those. So today, we're going to be looking at the message, doing life together. Now, I want to reset the context and just refresh quickly on last week. Uh, the context is we're looking at uh, the content of revivals, where we see the plan and will of God revealed on the earth, when we see people restored to loving one another, nations restored, where there's hope and restoration of society. And we want to address today, or, or through this series, some of the key aspects that we know in Scripture about the moves of God which have taken place right across the planet over the millennia. Now, last week, I looked at the topic, you must be born again. And I know that I left some people questioning whether they were saved or not. And that's a good thing. You might not agree with me on that, but sometimes it's good to sit down and consider and validate why we are saved and how we know we are saved. And some important questions to ask yourselves are, do you have a saving faith in Jesus Christ? Do you know that Jesus' death upon a cross as the Son of God was the means for your forgiveness of sin? Have you made a break with the past, passing through the waters of baptism? Have you received the power to live a new life, the baptism of the Holy Spirit? And are you starting to follow Jesus Christ? Are you starting to seek to emulate his teachings, his lifestyle, his call upon your life to become the best person that he's calling you to be? Those are the foundational elements, and then we go on from there. And a lot of the development is what we're going to look at today, how we express through our lifestyle a life that honors Jesus and honors the people around us. And I want to read to you from Acts chapter 2, 
38 through 47, to set the context. Then Peter said to them, oh, this, the, the, wider, the, the wider story is that Peter has just finished preaching his first sermon. And people are wanting to make a response. They've heard that Jesus has died for their sin. They've heard that there's a call to respond to God and follow Jesus. And so now he calls them. He says, Peter, Peter says to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are afar off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. And that day, about 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. This story sits in uh, just immediately after Jesus' ascension in the context of history, and it's the birthing of the New Testament church. This is where we first find the church gathering together for the purpose of following the teachings of Christ as disciples. I want us to look at our current context today for a moment and then come back and see how this story interacts with and addresses some of the issues that we're facing today. Perhaps two of the biggest cultural issues which we must be aware of in the approach to our faith, or in fact to any faith, are individualism and syncretism. Now, individualism is the ideology of elevation of self. You can do anything. You can be anything. And it's at heart a, a, a noble idea. It's intended to be a motivator and an enabler of dreams and capability. It's the shifting of responsibility where it belongs, to the individual for themselves, for the life that they're living. And some people have achieved this idea of you can do anything or be anything. Look at Miles, the guy who flew from here to Australia in a microlight in 55 days blind. That's somebody that's achieving the call of God on their lives. That's somebody that's doing anything or being anything. Some people have done that, but not everybody has. And the consequence of that at large is a tendency for people to have great massive dreams and very small skill sets in terms of executing those dreams. And generally what that leads to is dissatisfaction. I hate my job. I hate what I do. I hate the, the fact that I have to go nine to five or shift work or whatever, pattern work or freelance work that you have because I hate my job, because I have a dream that's up here, but my skill set right now is right here. And of course we can develop skill sets. Of course we can grow in, in our abilities. Of course we can move forward in our abilities to to rise to the levels of dreams that we have, but most people don't. And in that context, we also have the inflated sense of our thoughts over and above the wisdom of God. What do we believe versus what does God say? Now we might ask, what's wrong with that? I mean, surely I should be able to be whatever I want to be in. Surely I should be able to value my thoughts. I agree with you to an extent. Let's frame it. This would be my perspective. The Bible says, I can do all things 
through Christ who strengthens me. Now, if we ask people honestly, how, how have you done just doing it on your own? They might tell you, well, maybe I'd achieve 10%, 20%. But Jesus said, I can do all, Paul said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And second, he calls me to be a part of a functioning body that brings him glory. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me and calls me to be part of a functioning body, the church, in a way that would bring him glory. Now, what's wrong with individualism? In this world village which we live in today, there is an extension of accessible information. There is a loss of accountability relative to shared values, i.e., the family unit is being pulled apart. Uh, locations relative to family units can be extended. So generally, we lose that accountability towards values. We generally have more information, but less of a value for shared wisdom. We live in increasing isolation from one another. Facebook has replaced personal relationships, and we've ended up in high, high levels of loneliness, especially in London. Anyone know what I'm talking about? It's very easy to feel like you're alone in London. A lot of people come as individuals. They come and leave their families behind, and then they try to develop a whole new life and sometimes find that people are too busy. They're running around here, there, and everywhere, and where do I fit, and who do I connect with, and we end up trying to connect in wherever we can. And in that context, we can find ourselves beginning to take from different environments, different culture, uh, relationships, different cultures, different elements, and placing them into our worldview. And this is where that word syncretism comes in. Syncretism is the mixing of different faiths, taking this idea from Buddhism, this idea from Islam, this idea from Christianity, this idea from Judaism, and trying to mix it all up together and say, well, I've got my new religion. I'm a Christian. But we have, as Christians, a very clear set of understandings of what Jesus taught and what Jesus did within which we seek to express our lifestyle. Now, it's very important when we are taking on these worldviews and these different ideologies that we understand that some have very far-reaching implications and do need to be carefully considered and addressed before we take them into the way that we think. For example, what is the content of the gospel? Who is Jesus Christ? What is the role of faith? What is, what is it about the sanctity of marriage and of family? What are the responsibilities that are incumbent on us, given by God, to walk in love and faith towards one another? Those are non-negotiable. There are other areas which, of course, are negotiable. Some of these you'll hold very dear and personal because they express who you are. I am an artist. I'm a scientist. I'm a lawyer. I'm a banker. I'm a jeweler. I'm a doctor. I'm a nurse. I'm an accountant. But all of that fits after us being committed to Jesus. I'm thoughtful, I'm introverted, I'm extrovert, I'm loud, I'm confident, I'm expressive. These are all aspects of our personality. And they should all be brought under subjection to following Christ first, but they are, of course, a vital expression of who we are. And so in this context, what I'm trying to drive towards is we must fight for the purity of two things. One is the fact that we should be walking in the truth, and the second is the fact that we should be living in relationship, in fellowship, in community with people who have similar worldviews that we might bring Christ's glory, but that we might also show other people what the lifestyle of following Jesus looks like and how it impacts us. Now, some of you might be sitting there thinking, 
I don't really know what you're talking about. I have very strong family backgrounds, especially with our African community. We know that there's a very strong family link and high shared values. And we get into interesting discussions about whether those values are Christ-like or they're cultural or otherwise, and those have to be weighed and tested in that light. But perhaps you, when you came to faith in Jesus, made one of the most controversial growth steps. The controversial growth step of deciding, you know what, I want to change worldview. I've grown up seeing the world this way. I've grown up seeing the world as a war field where I have to win by destroying other people and getting to the top and getting promoted and making sure I have the biggest pay rise over everybody else. That might be the way that you viewed the world. Or you might have viewed it from another way, a community basis, where you wanted to sow into the community, and that meant that you would never reach for your own dreams, your own goals, your own aspirations. But when you came to Christ, all of us, I hope, have been faced with a lifestyle-changing decision. What is my worldview now that I'm following Jesus? And that has led some people to perhaps have to separate from family values, perhaps have to make decisions that are contrary to what our parents would agree with. This is where the saying of Jesus, unless you hate your mother, sister, brother, etc., you're not worthy of the kingdom of God, comes into sharpest contrast. I think here what Jesus is calling for is an unashamed allegiance to him that supersedes our family values. But, but, before we go running away with that whole line of thinking, you know, I'm just, just going to call my parents and say, you know what, I don't care what you say. But it's so important to balance this disruptive statement with the other commands of Jesus that we would love one another. See, we might have had a change of values, but we have an intensifying commitment to the relationship. John 13, verse 34 and 35, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Perhaps one of the most vibrant expressions of love is when you can love somebody in spite of the fact that they believe something different to you. We find it very easy to love people that agree exactly with what we think and live exactly the way that we live. But when they have a different viewpoint, love is most vibrantly expressed when we can still love that person. And in the context of what I was talking about with regards to our parents, we must understand that if we make a shift into a new worldview, we are now seeking to follow Christ, we must still remain in that commitment to our family out of love, honoring our parents. In Deuteronomy 5.16, it says, Honor your father and your mother as the Lord your God has commanded you, that your days may be long, and that it may be well with you in the land which the Lord your God is giving to you. I'm going to take liberties today. It's great to have my friend Jenny and her mom Sylvie and her brother Michael here today. I flew to Bali two weeks ago to marry them. I married Jenny to her new husband, Pascal. And um, in, the, in her speech... Jenny said to her mom, Sylvie, I am everything that I am because of everything that you've taught me. And that was such high honor in the context. There were so many people there, and they were celebrating with Jenny that day, and her mother was just sitting there like, wow, you know, I could, I could see what was going on there. That's honoring our parents. That's so vitally important. That's an expression of love. And that's a deepening what we're, call it, we're called to within the context of faith, that we would go deeper in our relationships with our parents. 
because of the love that Christ has shown us. That'll make my point. Sorry for taking liberties. It's good to have you. Um, so what, is, what are we seeing here? We're seeing two remedies to individualism and syncretism, or the potential for. Well, one is truth. The actions that we perform based upon the revealed will of God. And fellowship, which is expressed in love, honor, and forgiveness. The remedies for individualism, fellowship, syncretism, truth. And the goal for us is a vibrant, life-giving community built on the teachings of Jesus, which is expressed from the very smallest level, the, one, the, two, the twos, the companions, all the way through to the entire church, the convocation, if we would call it that, where each person may be empowered to walk in the truth and freedom of the knowledge of Jesus Christ. So I've set my context, and I'm going to go get practical on you, as I always do. And if, I'm talk- if you think I'm talking to you, it's because I am talking to you. So what is the big issue? We're now looking about at the church. How have I or how have you been brought into fellowship? Now, when we came into relationship with Jesus, we didn't just come into relationship with God, me and God, and that's it, nobody else. A lot of us seem to think like that. A lot of us seem to think that this is about me and my relationship with God, and you have no influence, no place. Don't even come over here with your word and your preaching and who do you think you are in your nice suit. Don't tell me what to do in cell. Don't tell me what to do here and there. I'm the individual. Let me just scrap that from the beginning, okay? When we got brought into relationship with Jesus, we got brought into a community where the most important commandment is to love God and love your neighbor as yourself. The most important commandment. Now that is a reiteration of what Jesus says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. By your love for one another, they will know that you're my disciples. So we're brought into a kingdom where we're called to relate to God and relate to one another. And we see that expressed in 1 Peter 2, verse 4 and 5. We come to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God and precious. You also, as living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. And then we see Paul's great expression of this in 1 Corinthians 12 with his discourse on the body and the importance of us being part of a body. For as the body is one and has many members, but all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. And he continues. So we're called to be part of a body. And we're called to walk in unity with one another. Now, unity far transcends, I sit next to my friend in the service. I look out for the person that I like, and I make sure I go sit next to them. And then as soon as the service finishes, what was your name again? They didn't even know your name. It far transcends that. Unity that we're talking about comes to a place where we walk in deep personal relationship with people in the body. Now, of course, we can't be friends with everybody. Some people would like to be friends with everyone. It's not practical. 
but we can have three or four really close friends, 12 to 15 circle of friends. We can have acquaintances beyond that. But we're called to have some friends at the very least. And when you start a talk like this in the context of church, people start to get a bit uncomfortable. They might be okay with the initiation and like, oh, yeah, I want to be part of the church and yeah, this sort of makes sense for me. Um, but there's an unchallenged thought that I want to just bring to your attention. There's an inherent resistance in people to the church. And the reason for that is because as a generation, we've been raised to think anti-establishment, anti-authoritarian structures, and I agree with that. But you see, that's not what the church is in its fullest expression under Christ. We do, of course, have vast political and religious structures which do form authoritarian types of systems. But under the headship of Jesus Christ, under the headship of Jesus Christ, we are called to have a church which is a place where each individual functions in freedom from sin and ownership of responsibility for protecting relationship. And in that context, we choose mutual submission. We choose it so that we might truly express the nature of Jesus Christ through our lives. And this is what I'm talking about, doing life together. Now, Max, we all know Max. We're going to get Max back up because he wants to answer a few questions for you today. You want to bring your microphone? Let's all welcome Max today. <clears throat> so I, I probably have been a bit technical and I'm aware of that, but Max is going to make it a lot more practical and then we'll keep going on with that. Max, tell me, you were sitting in the church one day, or many days. How long were you sitting in the church for before you started to get engaged? About a year and a half, a year. A year and a half? And what would you do? What was your practice? I'd come to the 11 o'clock service, I'd kind of sit around, half of the time I wouldn't really listen to what was going on, and when our senior minister Colin Dye finished speaking, I'd be out that door. You would be gone, oh. just like running? I was very good at getting out the door. <laughs> okay, and then what began to happen? <laughs> then um, one day, um, this really nice chap started to um, try and engage me in conversation, and what I started to do was I started to see which side of the aisle he was standing. And then I'd either go by the exit doors or, depending on where he was, I'd go by the um, entrance. So I'd try and avoid Gabriel, who was trying to chase me down. And I was good at that, too. So, you, I mean, maybe some of you can identify with this. He felt like I was chasing him down. All I was saying was, dude, do you want to hang out sometime? Do you want to go for a coffee? And how was that going through your head? It was, it was really weird, because the background I was coming from, and Andrew's known me for a long time, since 1990, whenever. The guys I grew up with, it's not normal to have a guy chasing you, right? I'm married, all right, all right. <laughs> Let's just be clear. <laughs> it's just not something I felt comfortable with, right? So I was like, what's his agenda? Like, why is he? I know he's a pastor, but what is his agenda? Why does he want to go for coffee, lunch? I don't want to go for coffee with you. It's not something I did, you know? So it just felt awkward and uncomfortable because essentially he was trying to engage me in a way that I haven't engaged before with other men. Okay, and so then how long did that process go for? I think that was like two years, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah so that was like a year and a bit. Um, so we'd, we'd play the game where, you know, you'd block off the exits and I'd figure out which way <laughs> I can leave. And one day he chased me down for a coffee. I think it was just 
outside of KT, I thought, man, you know, I'll go. And we were sitting there, and um, he says to me, why don't you come to the cell thing that I've been telling you about? And I was like, look, I know you're, you, you guys got issues. I don't have issues. You know, I don't, I don't, my name's Max, and, you know, I don't, I don't need to go to cell, right? And then he said, look, go to cell, go to cell. So I thought I'd get this guy off my back. I used to, and Tanisha knows, I used to do a lot of dancing. I used to go to pineapple. I used to do a lot of popping and locking. So I said to Gabriel, look, I'll come to cell if you come to a pineapple dance class with me. Thinking, he'll be like, no way, man. And he said, yes. <laughs> and embarrassed myself a whole lot. And the, the teacher the whole time was looking in the mirror, and he comes up to me at the end, and he goes, Lord, I recognize you. You're the past, one of the pastors at the church I go to. <laughs> so that was great. <laughs> and then just, uh, just speed, speed through, like, what, what changes have you seen since you've engaged? I think since my, my, my life as a Christian has really picked up since I started to um, fellowship with other Christian men. And that took time. So after cell, I think I didn't say anything for about six months. I just used to sit, turn up, not say anything, not engage. But only really when I started to engage, my life started to change practically um, in the way that work was going or in my relationships and the way that I saw other males or men and the way that I saw women. Um, and it really started to practically uh, have an effect on my life. Um, Can you give some specific examples? Yeah, I mean, like one example is um, I was uncomfortable in praying for people, for example. So I was Christian at the time and I, ha I was in a relationship and I was completely uncomfortable in praying for, for us or the other person, right? And I remember Gabriel kind of dropped me in it with Cell when he said, can you pray for Cell? And the first thing that went through my head was, is he talking? He's not talking to me. He must be talking to someone else. <laughs> I really felt so uncomfortable. And other areas where he, Gabriel's given me responsibility um, in looking after other men or mobilizing other men, I don't see cell or fellowship as kind of in the building. I saw the effects of the diligence and commitment to these things in my work as well. So in the way that I would approach the things that Gabriel gave me, I'd also approach the things that my boss gave me and vice versa. And you could see the, 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 the change over time as you start to commit to these things and, and do them diligently, both the work of God in KT, but also the work of God in the other ministries that I was in. And just now as a summary, where do you find yourself? What do you find yourself doing? Like job-wise, you've moved on, and cell-wise, you've moved up, and what's going on? Just as a quick highlight. So, so in terms of cell, things are, things are great. Um, we've planted out, um, this, we've got 20, 25 guys Really great guys, really encouraging guys. Um, some of the guys are an encouragement to me, they're, they're, they're an example to me. So actually having men like that around is so critical to actually staying in the path that God's called us to be, right? The kind of counsel they're giving. And in work, I think it's transformed. As you, as you spend more time with God and as you spend more time in, in, in fellowship and actually serving and meditating on scripture, I think it deepens your identity and allows you to cope with the trials that we all will go through, right? And then come out victorious once we've endured them. So one of the things now, whenever I get dropped in it, wherever it is, I always like, think, Lord... Like just right now, right? <laughs> just like right now, because yeah. I didn't know I was going to be doing this. <laughs> I think, Lord, you're going to do an amazing work. And it's really deepened my conviction in my walk. And my conviction in the walk has really deepened my understanding of my salvation and my sonship, which in turn deepens my conviction in my walk. So it's a virtuous circle that... Philippians 3, I really look forward to as I continue to grow. And I thank God that he gave this man the patience and, and the tenacity 
to chase me down. And by that example, I've got the bar set well and truly high when I say, have you actually engaged that guy? Well, not, not really. I haven't really tried. He's, he's really set a great example for me. Thank you, man. I appreciate that. I didn't pay him or even ask that question, just in case you're wondering. Okay, so Max has just kind of mapped out something of an of a, uh, experience for him. And some of you might have connected with that. Uh, some of you might be like me. The first, first Sunday I walked into church, someone came up to me and said, Gabriel, you need to get into a cell. And I said, okay. Because I'd already done the groundwork in my thinking. I'd been and made mistakes. I'd been putting, beating people up and getting drunk and all of that stuff. And so I'd made a decision. If I go back to church... I'm going to go back and it's going to be the Monday to Sunday commitment, not just the Sunday commitment like some people. None of you here, of course. Now, whether you're like a Max type or like a me type, there's a question that they ask Peter. What do we need to do to be saved? And there's a humility in asking that question. Most people just come in, I don't need to know what you know, Christians, whatever. Think you know it all? I'm going to be all right. I don't even need to ask you what you guys believe. Forget about that. You need a humility to come and ask the question. What is it I need to do to be saved? But then they go beyond that humility and continue because it says that they continued in the apostles' doctrine. They were humble enough to know, like we should all be humble enough to know, that when it comes to the Word of God, we need to keep learning. Often, our ways of thinking are at odds with what the Scripture teaches, and we need to keep learning. Sometimes people get saved, they join the church, and then they come and sit there and say, this is how you should be behaving. Okay, what's your basis for saying that? I think it's a good idea. I think that you should be available to me at 3 o'clock in the morning if I call you. I think that you should give me money whenever I ask for it. I think if you really, really, really cared about me, you would give me your floor to sleep on. Or in fact, why don't you take the floor and I'll take your bed. And people come in all the time and do that. Without coming with the humility that's revealed in this question... How do I continue in my walk with Jesus? How do I get to know about Jesus? And I think there's some good reasons for that reticence. One of them is a very bad reason, pride and arrogance, and you need to deal with that. But sometimes we're concerned about what I was talking about before. We're afraid of control. Are you going to control me? How do I know that what you're telling me is right? How do I express myself when what I think is contrary to what you think because you're just going to use that pastor stick on me? I'm a pastor. Therefore, you have to agree with what I say. And sometimes we get afraid of those kind of things. But don't worry. If you've got the Holy Spirit, you're pretty much on the way there. Why? Because you have an anointing from the Holy One and you know all things. He... We know the truth, and there is no lie in the truth. In 1 John 4, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this, you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses Christ has come in the flesh is of God, and every spirit that does not confess that Jesus Christ has come in the, spirit is not, uh, come in the flesh is not of God. 
So you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. And that means you know when you hear something, you will either have conviction or you'll be like, there's control in that. Now, sometimes we need to be careful because we need to be discerning our own spirit. Are we walking in the spirit? Are we walking in the flesh? Are we seeking to fulfill our fleshly desires? Are we trying to protect ourselves? Are we trying to make sure that everybody likes us? Or are we seeking to understand truth? Are we seeking to understand how to walk in that truth, no matter the cost to our flesh? See, when you approach a group like this, it's very easy to get a handle on, are you trying to control me? Or are you actually trying to show me the right way to follow Jesus? Because if you're trying to show me the right way to follow Jesus, I'll go with you. Even if it hurts. Now, Max will tell you that there's some things that I've challenged him on that he wishes that I hadn't said. But once I'd said them, he was like, man, I thank you for that. Right? We should be grateful for the fact that we actually have people who care enough to tell us the truth. Because we've got enough people out there in the world who would just look at you and say, yeah, yeah, you look great, mate. Nothing in your teeth. And you've got, I don't know, half of your spinach still left up in there. Cherish the people that hold the mirror up to you because iron sharpens iron. Don't be the kind of people that say, I come to church as long as you tell me what I want you to tell me. Be the kind of people that say, I come to church because I want you to tell me what I need to hear so that I might become more like Jesus. So we've looked at connected, connecting to the church. We've looked at mutual submission. We've looked at humility, being open to challenge. And now we look at choosing fellowship. Now, what does fellowship look like so that we can choose it? Fellowship looks like a tight-knit group of brothers, group of sisters, mixed group that walk in truth with one another, pursuing Jesus Christ together. Now, why do I say that we need to have Jesus Christ in the center of that? It's very easy to have people that come together to hang out. I've had people like that all of my life. You come together, you hang out, you go get drunk. And then when you're not drunk, they don't like you. What happened to drunk Gabriel? We like drunk Gabriel. We don't like serious Gabriel. What happened to drunk? Bring that drunk guy back. So you have to go get drunk again in order to hang out with him, right? But when we come into a relationship with Christ, we find out who God says we are, and we also see somebody else who's found out who God says they are. And so we can honor and respect them for who they are in Christ, just like they too should honor and respect us for who we are in Christ. And so because we're all focusing our attention on Christ, we can truly, genuinely love one another because we know and honor the price that was paid for that person's life, the life that they're called to live before God, And so that brings us into true fellowship. It's a much deeper spiritual level of relationship than we can get through um, celebrating in the pubs or even through getting around and having a, a special meditation session. Because we're talking about communing around the presence of God. So tight knit brothers and sisters who know one another, who know each other's issues and faults, Now, I'm not going to ask Max to come up here and tell you the things that he knows about me, but he knows pretty much everything that there is to know about me. We probably talk, we've had some serious long, 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 long conversations. 
And he would be able to tell you pretty much everything I struggle with, pretty much everything I'm victorious in, pretty much everything I'm looking forward to doing and dream about doing. And so, so could a, a number of other guys could say that about my mate Dan or uh, my mate Steve or my mate Esteban or Ed. You can talk about all of these guys and they know me. They know what I'm struggling with. And I want to ask you, what about you? Who knows about you? Who knows about what's going on inside for you? You're very, very good. I can see it. Very good at the Sunday mask. Hallelujah, brother. Praise the Lord. I'm very, very well. And you're not. Who really knows you? Now, it's an important aside that we need to take here because this is about responsibility. And this is really important for us to understand in London. We, you, are responsible for finding this type of fellowship and being strategic about it. Sometimes people expect others to be the ones that come and find us in our seats and sit down and harass us, like Max said. And we'll give them the resistance big hand, right, like one of those lovely red hands. Resistance, are you really serious? Resistance, are you really serious? Resistance, oh no, you went away, you weren't really serious. Not everyone's crazy, like I wouldn't say that most people would do what I did to Max, right? That's a year of pounding, that's a lot. But most people won't do that, right? So when somebody comes to sit next to you and says, hi, what's your name? You say, yeah, my name is Gabriel. And they say, dude, do you want to go for a coffee hangout? You say, yes, please. That's how you break loneliness. You respond to other people coming to find you. Or maybe you go out of your way yourself and you go and sit next to someone and say, hey, my name is so-and-so. I've been coming to the church for two months. Haven't had a chance to get to know anybody yet. Can I, you know, you guys look like you're going out just now. Can I join you? Is that all right? See, responsibility for being in fellowship rests with you, not anybody else. Not anybody else. Like I know some friendship groups where if one person didn't make sure they called everybody, that group would never hang out. But because some people call around, I used to do that a lot, some people call around, then they come together and hang out. But we need to all take ownership and be pressing in. You know, if somebody texts you from the church, reply to the text. It's common courtesy. If somebody calls you from the church, call them back. Crazy. But it makes sense if you want fellowship. Responsibility rests with you. Choose fellowship. Now, why would I choose fellowship? What are the benefits? Let me just tell you about some of the express benefits for me. In Christian ministry, it is very easy to become a pastor who everybody looks up to, and you have no mates, and no accountability, and no relationship. For me, an immediate benefit is that I have at least 12 friends around me who know me, at least 12, and they know everything about me. So you're in safe hands because they will tell you if there's something wrong with me that you need to know about, which is great. Instead of like somewhere along the line, this big surprise, oh my God, and nobody ever knew. All right? So that's an express benefit for me. But 
Now that I have that benefit of relationship with them, I also get to have great times of fun and joy. I get to live the dream and experience life. I got people that I can call up and say, let's go to the dinner, let's go to the movies, let's have a barbecue, let's hang out. Just like that, and it happens because we've built relationship. I have people that I can go to in wisdom to get wisdom for decisions. When I started to date Rebecca, two of my friends first came to me and said, We've just been observing you and Rebecca together. You guys would be a great match. Have you thought about it? Because we were just friends at that point. And I was like, well, I have thought about it, but now you are adding to my thinking about it. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So I got some wisdom and some counsel, which was very good for me because then I was protected in the decisions that I was making. I wasn't just going running off into some little rabbit hole. I was making wise, healthy, informed decisions. And this is perhaps one of the biggest struggles we have because we don't like this mutual submission aspect. We don't want other people to be speaking into our situation. We want to make all the decisions. Well, if you want to make all the decisions, let me just guarantee you're going to make the wrong one sooner or later. And then you'll have to recover from that. For me, it breaks loneliness. I don't have to be lonely. I can choose to hang out with friends whenever I want. And finally, just the point that I want to make, it's actually a blessed place. It's part of God's creation order. Psalm 133, behold how good and how pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like the precious oil upon the head running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down to the edge of his garments. The benefits of true relationship are almost unending. The fact that we can be real with people around us and them accept our reality is massive because most of us are used to playing a game in order to, get, try, to try to get people to accept us rather than being yourself and seeing that you're actually valuable as you. So then we come to the question, how open should I actually be? What are you trying to say? Should I tell people that I used to cry myself to sleep until I was 15? With the right people. Should I tell them that I went through a really serious trauma as a child with the right people? Should I tell them how I struggle with my parents breaking down in their marriage, marriage relationship? Yes, with the right people. Because you need people to know who you are. 1 John 1, 6, if we say that we have fellowship with God and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. And then 1 John 2 verse 9 says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. But he who hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. See, this verse completely rips the foundation out of this is just me and God. You and God will be expressed in how you relate with people around you. So it's choosing to, with the right people, the people that you can trust, and you can trust to tell you the truth when you need to be hearing the truth. Tell them about you. Build two or three or four really good friendships. Take off that Christian mask and start a walk in the fellowship and truth that Jesus has enabled in the church. Now let's look at loyalty. How do I forgive somebody when they let me down? Jesus said in Matthew 18, 22, we need to forgive 70 times seven. 
We need to forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive and forgive. And keep going. That doesn't mean we keep accepting the same rubbish. We go back and say, hey, listen, I didn't appreciate the way that you spoke to me. I didn't appreciate what you did. Great, then you figure it out and you move on. But you forgive. How do I respond when I'm the one that makes a mistake? Matthew 5, 23. If you remember that a brother has something against you, you go to them and sort it out. Don't wait for them to come to you because they probably never will. You go to them. Because relationships aren't just one-use wonders. You offend me, you're done. You say something I don't like, excommunicate it from the church and everything. No. Let's figure this out. Let's work it through. Because as long as we're not working it through, we're not doing life together. You're doing life over here, and you're doing life over here. It doesn't work. You might ask the question as a summary. What has all of this got to do with revival? Because isn't this supposed to be about the wells of revival? Well, firstly, where two or three are gathered, that doesn't mean you're just sitting around, grab the person next to you, okay, two of us, we're going to agree in prayer, okay? What was your name again? No, it's where two or three gather for the intent and express purpose of following Jesus. They know one another. They sit down to pray. Jesus is there in the midst. The presence of God, that is the core essence of revival, God present on the earth. Second, the radiation of that love outwards. John 13, 35, by your love for one another, they will know that you are my disciples. And when Jesus is present and that love is being revealed, guess what happens to people? They begin to get healed in the presence of Jesus. They begin to get restored in their life, in their ability to trust, in their ability to love, in their ability to participate in communion and fellowship. Now, I don't know if you've ever thought about church like that, but that's the way that Jesus intends for it to be. So much so that you can sit down with your mate and say, listen, I'm really struggling with this issue, and I'm really thinking these bad thoughts about these people, and I need you to confront me, I need you to tell me where I'm off, because I want to be in the truth. I want to give you an opportunity. If you want to accept Christ today and be part of that revival community to pray a prayer. So we're all going to bow our heads and pray this prayer together. And if at the end you decide that you want to know Jesus in a meaningful, life-changing way, I want to invite you to raise your hand at the end of the prayer. So we'll pray together. Father, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your truth today that you have brought us into a place where we might love you and love our neighbor. And Lord, we ask you to lead us deeper in relationship with you personally and through your body. And today I pray specifically for those that have uh, not got that relationship with you, Jesus. I ask, Lord, that you'd bring them to a place, Lord, where they encounter you in their heart of hearts and they decide, Jesus, I need to know you. I need to leave behind my life of sin and I need to walk into the truth of who you call me to be and the truth of who I can be with these people around me. And Lord, I pray that you would give them a real hunger and a thirsting to be true Christians in a way that would bring you glory. Today, if you want to be one of those people, I want to ask you simply to raise your hand, hand while no one's looking to just give us a wave and say, you know, I want to be part of this community you're talking about, Gabriel. I want to experience authentic Christianity. Simply raise your hand up into the air. Thank you, sir, at the back. I really appreciate your hand. 
Is there anyone else? I really want to know Christ in a meaningful way. I really want to be part of the body of Christ, the church, as you've expressed it today. Raise your hand. Okay. So, Father, we thank you for the man at the back who chose today to follow you, Jesus. And Lord, I pray that you'd set him in the right place in the body, that there'd be people around him that would encourage him and strengthen him in prayer, in love, that he might grow to be the man that you've called him to be in faith. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So just a final few thoughts for you. Are you making room for fellowship in your life? Check yourself. Are there excuses that you've made so that you don't have to go to cell or be in relationship with the body? Are there other things that you've chose to prioritize so that by mistake you've deprioritized your relationships? Are you walking in offense or unforgiveness? Would you say that you're unteachable? You don't want to be told, therefore you don't want to relate. All of us are here to learn. And if any one of those questions you come up with the wrong answer and you'll all know what the wrong answers are, I want to encourage you to think about it and make it a good decision to re-engage so that you might enjoy life, enjoy relationship, find out who you truly are in the relationships with others and be able to walk into great healthy decisions which set you up for the life that Jesus is calling you to. Amen? Amen. Well, God bless you. Let's give the Lord a big praise offering this afternoon. I'll see you all in 2014. Have a great Christmas, a happy new year. Be blessed richly in every way, and we'll see you next year. Amen. God bless.